Well, good morning, and uh, open your Bibles. We're going to be back in the book of First Californians again, so go ahead and get there. And I want to thank my friend Ray O'Brien for reading a portion of the passage that we're going to use for today. I'm going to just go off script for a minute, and I want to talk a little bit to the saints that are here that are above 55 years of age. Um, some of you are here, and you're fairly new with us, and you're above that age. Some of you have been here for decades, and you're above 55. And I want you to go back to when we first moved into this ministry center, if you were with us 15 years ago, and you were younger then, so was I. And you know what? Red curtains looked awesome. We stepped into this building, and this was sparkling. It was brand new, and it was, it was, it was something to behold. It was like, wow, God gave us this, and it's this beautiful spot to be in. And we were waiting for the, minister, the, for the ECA to finish the uh, building across the street where we were going to worship permanent, more permanently, but we were here, and it was really electric. And you know, you stepped in today, and things have taken a pretty big change from the way things look. And I don't know how you feel about that. Let me tell you how I feel about that. I feel so excited because what's happening right now for you older saints is the baton is being passed to a younger generation. You know, we could be the church that never wants anything to change and never wants to give any young people a chance, and we would be that church that dwindles to 25 and then 10 and sells our building to somebody else or gives it away. Uh, because we just want another church to come. There's something happening right now, and it's a good thing. A younger generation is stepping forward into the mantle of leadership. It's happening at our pastoral level. It's happening at an elder level. It's happening in small groups. I mean, across the board, the church is getting younger. Friends, that's a good thing. And if you're like me and you're over 55, I want you to smile about that. I'm smiling about that. The biggest thing that I could do with the remaining part of my life here as a pastor is to continue to give things away and bring up a younger generation and give opportunity. And I hope you will join me in that. And if we're singing songs that are maybe a little different than where your sweet spot is, you know what? Just smile. A younger generation is tuned in. A younger generation is enjoying that. And we're going to do this together doesn't mean that we don't need older saints. Heavens, no. You have all this tribal knowledge that we need. You've walked more life than the younger set, and they need your pouring into their lives. And so again, everybody, whatever age you are, whatever background you have, you've got a space here at CCF because this is the, this is the church of Jesus, and he loves all people of all ages, all colors, all backgrounds. And so you have a place here. But if you're older, give a sense of encouragement in the changes that you see because really it's representing some very good things that are happening at the church. All right, pastoral moment aside, let's get back into the book of 1 Corinthians. And I'm in a series that I have entitled Untangled. And I've titled it Untangled because, well, Paul wants to address tangles that are in the church in Corinth. They've got problems, and he says, I want to address those with you, and I want to offer some correction and some direction to you so that you can get back on track. I want to thank Pastor Eric for preaching last week. He did an admirable job. Previous chapter, chapter 2, he finished that for us and was talking about what godly wisdom is and how we know what godly wisdom is, and I loved what he did with that passage. Well, today, 
We're going to be moving on into chapter 3, and today's the entire chapter, actually, of chapter 3. We'll get to that in just a moment. Many of you in this room today have children, and many of you also have the blessing of having grandchildren. And if you have children or grandchildren, one of the things that you note right away is that children change so much over a course of time. You know, you look at a baby, and if you have not seen a baby for like a month, you come and they're like, whoa, look at this. They, they grew in this way, or they're holding up their head, or maybe you have been a while since you've seen a child, and they're like, I can't believe it. They're speaking now, or they're walking now. And they weren't before when I saw them. And there's so much rapid change that happens in a baby. There's rapid change that happens at the adolescent years. And boys start to grow into manhood, and they have that cracking voice. And it feels like, well, girls, they just begin to change, and it feels like they go from 12 to 20 in like a year. And it's like, you know, even with attitude and appearance, and it's just like, whoa, what just happened? There's so many changes that are going on within a, a life that's a, a young life. Well, spiritual growth is also happening. It's also changing, and it's developing inside of all of us as our souls develop. Once you came to know Jesus, there was a change that began to happen, a transformation that began to happen in your life. The scriptures say, behold, old things are gone and new things have come. And there's all kinds of new appetites that you have now that you're in Jesus. Before you didn't want to pray, you didn't want to say the word, now you do. Before you wouldn't have given away a nickel and now you're giving away such big dollars you can't even believe it. In fact, sometimes it looks crazy to you, but there's something new that's on the inside of you that's motivating you to do those kinds of crazy things in service to God. Instrumental to that change and that development and that growth of your soul are a group of leaders or helpers that are around you, and they serve a vital function in helping you grow. And, you know, those people could be a lot of different people. It could be a youth leader that is instrumental to your growth. It could be a good friend or a small group leader could be a mother or a father. I mean, the permutations are, are endless on the person that it could be. But we all need individuals around us that are helping us in our growth, in the spiritual maturity for us to look more like Jesus. So spiritual growth always includes important spiritual leaders in our lives. In the passage today, Paul is going to address Corinth over the nature of their spiritual growth and there's an interesting intersection between the leaders that are around them, their response to those leaders, and their spiritual growth, both as individuals and as the church. And so Paul wants to address that. What is spiritual growth? What does that look like within the church? And what does that look like, again, within the leaders that are within a church? Now, again, let's go back a couple of weeks ago. We learned that the Corinthians had a problem. They had a wrong view of their leaders. And they had joined these fan clubs. And the fan club's like, woohoo, we're Paul's. We're Paul's uh, disciples. Woohoo, we're Apollos' disciples. And they were really excited about being under the banner of those leaders. And Paul said, You've missed it. You've missed it. Your allegiance to Jesus is bigger than your allegiance to any one of those people or those groups. And so they said, Drop the rivalries. This is not about our competition. This is about us coming together under one banner, and it's the banner of Jesus. And so he's right sizing again their view of their leaders. What does spiritual growth look like? 
And what is the growth of the church in response to what God is doing in her midst? Well, Paul uses three metaphors in order to help us understand that. I'm going to use the exact metaphors that Paul uses today. Paul says spiritual growth is like a baby. Spiritual growth is like a field. And spiritual growth is like a building. I'm going to unpack those three from this passage today and help you understand, as the Corinthians understood, what spiritual growth is like. First, spiritual growth is like a baby. I'm reading chapter 3, verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. And here it is, as infants, as babies in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Everybody loves babies. And when babies show up at church, oftentimes there's a wrestling match over who gets to hold that baby. And, you know, my wife was like the head of the pack on that, right? She is like first in line for that. And she and Steve are usually wrestling over who gets to hold the babies. There's nothing, I mean, there's everything good about babies. But there's something wrong when you are older, but you are acting like a baby. Imagine Junior comes home from middle school, walks through the door and says, Mom, could I get my pacifier now? That, that's embarrassing. I, like, that shouldn't be. And there's just something awkward about all that when you're older, when you should have grown, but you're still back in your infancy. Paul says the Corinthians are acting like babies. He says, I so wanted to treat you better. I wanted to treat you like adults, but I had to treat you like a baby. I wanted to give you steak to eat. But I had to still give you milk because that's where you are. Something had caused their growth to be stunted. And Paul says, I want to address that. I want to correct that in, in you. And he says, here's why I know that you're stunted and why you're acting like babies. It's because there's jealousy and strife that is in the midst of the church in Corinth. He says, that's the evidence of the fact that you're still in your infancy is over the way you treat one another. And if you want to know how your spiritual growth is maturing, that's one of the telltale signs is how you're treating one another, how you're treating other people. We can claim that we know the Bible and we know how to pray and we know how to do all kinds of religious things, but one of the best gauges, and Jesus even says it, the world's going to know you're my disciples by your, come on, tell me, your love for one another. That's the way the world's going to know. More than even whether or not we study our Bible well is they're going to know by our love. And I'm not down on studying the Bible well by all means because I think that one fuels the other. But Paul is saying you, you pay attention to the way that you're treating one another and it's an indicator of how well the Spirit is alive within your souls, within your church. Many of us know the fruits of the Spirit. In fact, there's nine of them. And my guess is that many in this room today could quote all nine fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace. And I could go on and you would, you would be in chorus with me over those fruit of the Spirit. But did you know that there's another list that I bet you have not memorized? I know I haven't. 
And it's the list that precedes the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know that that list is normally referred to as the deeds of the flesh or the works of the flesh? I have that passage in Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to look at it here. I have it up on the screen for you. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, and here we go. Here's the two operative words. Strife, jealousy, he says, fits of anger, rivalries. There's another word the Corinthians are struggling with. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And so Paul is saying, Corinthian church, I see in you right now some deeds of the flesh. You're serving the flesh and you're not serving the spirit. And anytime that we're serving the flesh, there's a degradation of ourselves. But guess what? There's also a degradation or a destruction of the community of the church. All the things you just saw on the list of the deeds of the flesh all have a destructive element that happens within the church. And so Paul is saying, that's the way you Corinthians know that your babies is that your, your treatment of one another is indicating that you're not in the spirit. You're not in the spirit with one another because you're not exemplifying that by the fruits of the spirit. Somehow you have stalled out. And maybe that's a great little litmus test for all of us is to say, maybe I know some of my spiritual growth right now by the way I'm treating others. And by the way that others would say they are experiencing me. Are they experiencing me the way that they would experience Jesus? Well, that's a pretty high calling for all of us. But he's saying that's one of the ways that we know about our spiritual growth. Well, spiritual growth is first of all like a baby. It's like something else, Paul says. And the second thing that he says it's like, it's like a field. I'm picking up in verse 6. And this is what Paul writes. Your Bibles are open or your apps are open. We're reading along here. I am in verse 6. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we're God's fellow workers, you're God's field. And then stop there because this is the next line picks up in the next uh, section. But he says, you're God's field. Paul moves from the metaphor of baby growing to crop growing. And he talks about agriculture and he picks up the workers that are needed in the agricultural field. He says, I want to focus you now on the roles that different people in a field or different people that are in an uh, agricultural setting would have. No doubt the Corinthians would understand this. They were people that were close to the earth. They saw things growing around them in that Mediterranean region all the time. So they understood that metaphor. And Paul picks up on the role and he says, I planted and Apollos watered. What does he mean by that? Well, it's, it's really kind of simple. Paul is saying, I planted because I'm the one that planted the church in Corinth. I went to Corinth. I was the one that told them the gospel. I was the one that told them about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his perfect life. I'm the one who told them about that. They responded and the church was formed in Corinth by Paul who planted. But Paul left. And then Apollos is the guy that stays around and Apollos is the guy who waters the church because he's there 
speaking and teaching regularly. He's there organizing. And so he says, both of us had a role to play. I planted, but Apollos watered. But he says, in the final analysis, what is Paul and what is Apollos? And he says, they're nothing more than servants. That's what they are. They're servants who are co-equals. They both have this important function, and we have to have both of them in order to have agriculture work right. I've got somebody in my life that I'm really grateful for, and that person is Tom Schofield, because every year about this time, Tom starts my tomato plants. And Tom very carefully goes and gets those all in the little, little pots, and he starts them, he puts the plant, the, the seed in the ground, and he starts those, and he cares for them in, in kind of his little hothouse area in the backyard, and he grows up these beautiful plants. I take them over around June, and I put them in my ground in my backyard, and I water those very regularly. In fact, I got a little drip irrigation system that I hook up for them, and I cage them, and, well, I've got a picture here of my garden from last year, and, you know, it kind of works. There is a tomato that Tom started that I continued to water and to fertilize and make sure it got the proper care and the, and the plants got up properly and held up and, uh, you know, so that they would break. And there's what happened. Here's what I need for you to hear. Was either function more valuable than the other? Was the function of planting what Tom did more important than the cultivating or the watering, which I did? No. Both of them are needed in order to arrive at that space. But could either one of us claim that we caused those to grow? No. We don't have that power. We are involved in this mysterious thing, which is being able to put a seed in the ground and watch it come to maturity to have fruit. I mean, that's still amazing to me every year that I do it. And that's probably why I do it again and again and again, because I love to see that magic. I love to see what God can do in the way that he's created the world. And that's what Paul's telling us. We need functions of everybody who's all coming along and doing their role, whether it's the planting or the watering. We need everybody's role in that. And we never point to the one that is, is doing that. We never go, woohoo, look at the waterer. Well, aren't they awesome? It's always pointing us back to the one who's actually causing the growth. It's, that's what is happening. We're glorying in that. We're glorying in the one that is behind it all. And each one of us is just looking at the role that we have or the, the function that we serve and saying, that's my God-given function. And I want to do that. I want to do that well. We all, we all need uh, whatever role that you have within the field or within the, within the vineyard. All right. So spiritual growth is like a baby. Spiritual growth, it's like a field there's one more metaphor that he uses. Spiritual growth is like a building. And I'm picking up in chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort each, uh, of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, 
though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. So Paul shifts now from the metaphor of a field to a building, and he calls himself the skilled master builder because he is one with the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world, that's come in order to put the foundation in place. Paul's not that foundation. He, he's building the foundation, but he's not that foundation. The foundation that he is building or that he is placing there is the foundation of Jesus. And every church that is a church has the same foundation, not the pastors, not the elders, not the congregation. It's the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are not a church if you do not have that as your foundation. And, and, and you're bankrupt. You're, you're doing charades if, if you do not have that as your foundation. Paul says that once that foundation is laid, then there's other work that can go on. You know, let me give you an example. I live over in Linwood, just a few miles from the bowl here, and every day I pass by Perrinville, and some of you who pass by that spot regularly know that there are some buildings that are going up in the Perrinville area. And it just seemed like forever that I saw this blank field, and there were these um, machines out there kind of working and moving dirt around and finally I got to the spot where they had dug some holes and they put some utilities in the ground and finally they got to the spot where they were pouring some concrete and it was month after month after month that it just seemed like all that was happening was there was a kind of a dead field there and then all of a sudden it arrived at the spot where it was like whoa walls have come up and then it was bing 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 you just saw all this beehive of activity what was happening was the building of the foundation. And it's very boring work. It's very, it's very hidden work. You, you barely see it happening. But it's the most important work because if the foundation's not right, forget it all. You, the building's going to fall apart. It, it's gonna, who cares what color the paint is at that point because the building's going to fall down. But once you've laid that foundation, then all the other workers can come along and do their thing they can come along and say, all right, I'm going to do my part now with plumbing. Or I'm going to do my part now with electrical. I'm going to do my part now, perhaps I'm with a part of HVAC. Or I'm part of now putting a light fixture or a floor or painting. And I can do all of those things and add value to that building as its foundation is finally built. Paul says that all the workers are needed to build the building. By the way, in the very next line... He talks about the temple, and he talks about the temple being something that's sacred that, that God protects. I think in the building here, he may actually be talking about the temple that is being built, but he doesn't completely say that, so I don't know. He's talking about, the, again, the whole metaphor of building, and he says here that we need all of those workers, but every worker that comes that builds on that foundation is going to choose different materials, and he gives us a list of six materials. Listen carefully as I tell you what those are again. Gold, silver, precious jewels, wood, hay, straw. Those break very evenly into two groups. The first group are very expensive materials, gold, silver, precious jewels. They're very expensive materials and they will not be burned up by fire. Now, again, might be melted a little bit. We all know that according to their different melting points. But they don't, they don't, they're not gone. 
They, they survived that somehow. The wood, hay, and straw are less expensive materials, and they burn up in fire. So tuck that away for a moment because he's telling us something important about the way that we build. He's saying that whatever building you do, it's going to be tested on the day. Paul, what do you mean, the day? He's referring to the return of Jesus in the second coming. Jesus is coming back to claim his church for his own. And when Jesus comes back, he says there's going to be a judgment. And the judgment has two aspects to it. The first aspect of the judgment is, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And more importantly, does Jesus know you? There's some people in the Bible that claim, we know Jesus. And Jesus says, guess what? I never knew you. So do you know Jesus and does Jesus know you? Is there a completion there in your intimacy and your walking with God? Second aspect of judgment is related to the quality of the work that you have done. The quality of the work that you've done to build the church or to serve other people or to help people in the community, those are all under evaluation. And Paul says something you know, really radical. He says that it's all going to have a fire test. All of your work is going to have a fire test, and it's going to see what will survive after this fire. What does Paul mean by it being fire tested or being burned up? Well, he's telling us that, again, the portion of the building that's done with the lesser materials, the wood, hay, and straw, that's going to all burn up and go away. But the spot that was built with the precious materials, that is what lasts. In a word, a faithful builder is one who builds with God's wisdom. A faithful builder is one who builds with godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. And he's the one that is building in such a way that it's not exalting man. It's not uh, arising out of some self-serving motive. That's all what's being evaluated too. And it's all coming in such a way that it's surviving, that it was done in the spirit. It was done with God's approval. It was done with God's power. Really, that's what we're really talking about here, and that's what's all going to be evaluated in some way. I know that's rather mysterious, and we don't talk often about that, but here it is. And Paul's saying, this is what's coming down the road. You know, one of the things I'm really grateful for is in the midst of COVID, we have had some new people that have been coming to us at church. <laughs> I think that's just totally cool, is that new people are finding us. I see some in the room here today, and I, again, I welcome you. I heartily welcome to you. I have heard from some new people at the church who've been kind of looking around now and kind of visiting some different places that one of the things that they're astounded by is the number of churches that they go to that never open the scriptures. I, 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 for me, I'm kind of like, how is that even possible? But I'm, I'm coming back to how do you build a church if you don't build on gold, silver, and precious gems? <laughs> the rest is wood, hay, and straw. And, and, and it's impossible to build a church unless you're building from the source of God's word. And so again, I, 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 as long as I'm here, we're going to be there. And that's going to be one of the things that's the critical piece of our building process is with the word and with hopefully God's wisdom and not worldly wisdom. And again, I think he's saying it goes beyond that. It's not just that you're using the scriptures, but it goes actually into the motivation that you have in doing the work that you're doing. But the person he says that 
is building in this way and maybe is perpetually building in a way that they're only using wood hand straw. He says they're going to suffer a fate. He says they're going to suffer the fate of being saved and yet as through fire. In fact, the word is but only as through fire. And I think the Corinthians knew what that phrase meant. I think it means something similar to saved by the skin of your teeth or maybe saved as if escaping a burning house. And what he's saying is that we are never saved by our works, so that's not what saves us. Those people are secure because they have faith in Christ, a new Christ, and yet on the other hand, they lose what would be some of the, uh, of the approval of the, of the Savior, some of the, the smiling of the Savior. You know, the Savior says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to your rest. And that's the approval that we all want. And in some way, Building with lesser materials, building for our own glory, building for something other than God's glory is, is failing. And I don't know what that kind of uh, chagrined moment is when we're before the Lord and we realize that there are some mistakes that we've made. I, I don't know what that's like. But Jesus seems to, or Paul seems to, indicate that that certainly is a reality and part of the judgment. And so we're very careful about the way that we go about building. And we give the best that we can give. We give the gold, the silver, the precious gems. And we're careful about who it is that's receiving the glory. All right. Your spiritual growth is so important. It's always a tragedy when somebody comes to know Jesus but then remains as a baby. And that's why Paul gives the Corinthians a swift kick in the rear. And he says, come on, let's go. We've got to drop the pacifier. We've got to get moving on. And this involved their leaders and the members of their church. They had to have a right view of the leaders. And the servants, they had to view them as servants given to them by God. They did not, those leaders did not cause the growth, but they were merely workers. They were servants towards that growth. We're making maturing disciples of Jesus here at CCF. Many times that involves somebody that comes along beside us and disciples us or mentors us. Maybe some of you have had somebody come alongside you and do that. Maybe some of you have had the joy of actually discipling or mentoring somebody else. That's part of the process. But every time that occurs, we're never like, you know, we're thanking God that he sent that person. But that person's not the focus of our, of our salvation. That person's not the focus of our sanctification. Jesus is. And those people are merely aids toward that process. Here's the deal. It takes constant attention. It takes constant effort. You're never done taking your foot off the gas pedal of your own spiritual growth. Let me end with a story. It's a, one I learned about this week, and I just love this story. In the game of basketball, there is one shot in basketball that is seemingly the easiest shot of all, and it's called the free throw. When somebody is fouled, they get to go to the free throw line, and they get the chance to make a point with each basket that they shoot from the free throw line. It should be the easiest shot in basketball because it's unimpeded. There's nobody standing in your way. There's nobody guarding you. Every time it's exactly the same, you stand 15 feet behind the line from the basket and you get to take a shot. Now, for decades, some of the most elite players in the game can never break 70% in their free throw shooting. And that seems like, wow, that seems like crazy because this is like the shot that's the easiest with nobody there. So there's somebody that went about studying this. His name is Larry Silverberg, who is an engineer from North Carolina State University, and he studied the free throw for 20 years. And this is what he determined. 
he determined that the free throw, in order to be shot properly, has four components to it. You ready? Here they are. It's the release off the hand. It's the straightness in where you're shooting at the basket. It is the arc of the ball and the amount of backspin on the basketball. And he says, those are the four components. You get those right, and you shoot very consistent free throws. Surprisingly, Silverberg says there's very little difference between the person who can shoot average and the person that can shoot stellar at the free throw line. In, in other words, they both are doing very consistent things, but what's surprising is the ones who are only mediocre are doing the same things consistently wrong because they don't realize what they're doing wrong. Here's the other good news. He said that in order to shoot free throws well, it's not like something you're born with. It's not like, well, you can do it because you have the right genes. No, there are four things that if you understand those four things, you can change it and you can become a better free throw shooter if you just understand those things and if you put a little work into it. That might explain why the best free throw shooter of all time is not an NBA great. I know it's going to be a very big surprise for you today. It was a very big surprise for me. You'd think that it would be one of the greats in the NBA, that, you know, Michael Jordan or somebody would be the one that was the best free throw shooter of all times. No. It's a 62-year-old soil conservation technician from Kansas, and his name is Bob Fisher. Here's a picture of Bob Fisher with his wife and Shaq. Charles Barkley, sorry. Not Shaq, Charles Barkley. And uh, there is Bob Fisher, this little frumpy old guy now. And he says, I played high school basketball. I said, I played rec basketball for uh, a number of years until I was in my mid-40s. And in my 50s, I decided to go to the gym and just shoot free throws. And he said, I studied how to shoot free throws. I began to shoot free throws. And he said, within about two months, I could make 100 in a row. And he said, it just started to come to me. I, I understood how the whole thing worked. This guy, Bob Fisher, now holds 25 Guinness records on free throw shooting. I didn't know there were that many, all right? But he holds 25 of them. And Bob Fisher, well, two of the, the ones I really like the most, he made the most free throws in a minute. I don't remember what that number is, but I think it was around 50. And he also holds the Guinness record for the most blindfolded. I love that one. The most blindfolded uh, free throws. Fisher says this, when it's all said and done, it's about the preparation and the practice. It's about the preparation and the practice. Friends, your spiritual growth is of vital importance. It's setting you up for all of eternity. God is in this process of making you more and more like Jesus. And I know it seems incremental with fits and starts, and that's okay as long as it's progressing. But here's what I want you to hear today. Spiritual growth, it takes your attention, just like it did with the Corinthians. And you have to want to grow into the likeness of Christ as much as Bob Fisher wants to learn how to shoot a free throw. Is that an attitude of your heart today?
That's something you really want. Something that's desire. Brian talked to us about the men's ministry and their Bible study that we have right now. Week one was really a challenge. Do we want to really know God? You can't really know God unless that's really a desire of your heart, unless you want it. Do you want to spiritually grow? Do you want your life to to manifest into more Christ-likeness? It's going to take some attention on your part. It's going to take some effort on your part. And again, God's the one that's causing that growth on the inside, but he seems to respond to our want to. I hope you want to, as much as Bob Fisher wants to learn to shoot a free throw. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this instruction about spiritual growth. We thank you that you didn't give up on the Corinthians. They were making some mistakes, but that was okay. They could be addressed. They could be corrected. That's true in our lives too, Lord. Nobody is beyond your touch and your restoration, and we're included in that. We ask, Lord, that there would be an increasing passion on the inside for us to grow spiritually, for us to help each other grow spiritually, and for us to trust you for that result. Thank you for the leaders that you give to us. May we use them wisely, and may we see their gifts multiplied in our body. They're never the focus. You're always the focus, and we thank you that you're that foundation today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.